angry, 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 angry at arthritis. Welcome to another episode of Angry at Arthritis. My name is Steve O'Keefe, and I'm your host again today. Angry at Arthritis is all about providing patients with better information on the leading science in treatments and cures for osteoarthritis. And so we're delighted to have you back with us again. If you're interested in supporting research into leading cures on osteoarthritis, I would ask you to hit the donate button on our website. That's angryarthritis.org. So thanks for joining us. And I'm excited today to be joined by my good friend and congressional leader, Congressman Jerry Connolly from the 11th District in Virginia. Jerry and I have known each other for quite some time. We've spent a lot of time in the federal IT space and government workforce space. And we sat down for lunch about six months ago. We were chatting about tech and the government workforce and what you will. And as we finished lunch, I asked Congressman Connolly how he felt about arthritis. And suddenly we got into a very involved conversation as Jerry talked to me about his osteoarthritis and challenges in that area. And so I talked to him about angry at arthritis, and he was good enough to host an event for us on the Hill, the May OA Shark Tank, where we brought together leaders from across the world to talk about emerging cures. So with that, I'm delighted to welcome Congressman Jerry Connolly to Angry at Arthritis. Thank you for joining us, Jerry. Great to be with you, Steve. Thank you so much. So let's just tear straight in. There are 32.5 million American adults, that's one in seven, that suffer from osteoarthritis. And I believe you're one of them, Jerry. Maybe you could tell us a little about your arthritis story. Well, first of all, I think that statistic probably underestimates how many people suffer from arthritis because a lot of people decide it's just a common ache and pain that comes with aging. And in fact, it's a clinical problem. It's osteoarthritis. And if it's untended, it can be crippling, as you know, Steve. I have friends who can no longer use their hands because of arthritic condition that progressed. And people who have trouble with knees and hips that have to be replaced because, again, they tried to live with it as long as they could, and it didn't get better. Arthritis is progressive. In my own case, I uh, was diagnosed when I was 21 years old with goutish arthritis. I didn't even know what it was. My first attack was 13 years later, and I didn't know what that was. I thought I'd broken my foot. Only when I saw a doctor did he say, no, you, you've got gout, and it's an arthritic condition, and it can, it can worsen. And indeed, over the years, the number of attacks worsened, and it's attacked a number of joints. Classically, goutish arthritis attacks the big toe. In my case, it's the heel, it's the top of the foot, it's the knees, and it's crippling. I mean, I can go from normal walking in 24 hours to being literally crippled. I need a wheelchair. The medicine to take to try to get it, the inflammation down uh, works, but it has a terrible toll on your digestive system and really makes you sick. Yeah, I've lived with it. This is only the second time I've ever talked about it publicly. It's very painful. It's excruciating pain, as a matter of fact. I think a lot of our fellow Americans 
live with arthritis and just sort of tough it out. And I don't think they're all included in that 32.5 million. Yeah, I think looking at arthritis, this is clearly a bipartisan issue. It affects elephants and donkeys equally. Yeah. Yeah. And it's an opportunity, I think, for us to get together on the Hill to try and drive meaningful change for all Americans. That's right. <laughs> arthritis doesn't care what your politics are. I'm sure that every single one of my colleagues either suffers from arthritis or has a loved one who is suffering from arthritis. So this is a condition that touches virtually every family at some point. Yeah, I wanted to thank you, Jerry, personally, as we, you know, as we get into this and for helping launch Angry at Arthritis at that event. You know, we sat down together at Sweetwater Tavern and I asked you how you felt about the Arthritis Caucus and you really weren't aware of it. And so I think that what we need to do is make sure that the members on the caucus are actually active, or rather the caucus is active and really engages members. And I salute you for your leadership in terms of shaking that caucus and making it do things. And I'm glad you brought that up because I think the caucus needs to be more proactive. For example, President Biden's requested $688 million at NIH for arthritis and musculoskeletal skin diseases. Well, that caucus needs to be supporting that request. And writing the appropriations committee saying, hey, we support it and here's why. So I certainly am determined, now that you've alerted me to the fact we had such a caucus, and now that I've joined it, we've got to make sure it gets more proactive because it can do a lot of good on a bipartisan basis. Yeah, I think your point was that there is no better audience for this because a lot of members of Congress suffer from this condition. Yeah. So angry at arthritis is all about providing patients with direct access to the leading science on osteoarthritis. Isn't it time that regular Americans had access to better information on this disease, as well as new treatments? Absolutely. I think that goes from top to bottom, right? So it's, it's training and education of physicians who can look at early warning signs, who can look at the latest breakthroughs in treatment, and can look at what you've done, which is the kinds of clinical trials that might be available to people if you know they qualify and if it might make a difference for them in terms of their lives. And that's often information that's kind of in the shadows. I think you've done a great job in creating that map for people, but I think we now have to sort of get that word to clinicians and medical trained personnel so they can advise clients and patients of both the choices in front of them and the diagnosis in front of them, and what treatments might be available. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. And as we'll talk about the OA fix chart in a little while, but you know, it's this notion of bench to bedside, understanding what is in the lab. So when you're trying to make decisions about whether to have that joint replacement, having a good sense for what's coming down the pike, and also working with the FDA in order to try to accelerate the approval process. Now, we've obviously got to be careful about what we approve, but the challenges associated with getting through the FDA process can be very significant. Yes. So thank you for your leadership in hosting Angry at Arthritis, the OA Shark Tank in May. Why did you do that? And what were your takeaways from that meeting, Jerry? Well, I did it because you asked me. <laughs> but I, But you convinced me over that lunch you talked about. This is such a common condition for the human species. I guess because we weren't really engineered to live as long as we are now living. But arthritis is not necessarily 
respectful of age either. I, I know people very well I, myself, right? I was diagnosed at 21 years of age. Amazing. So there are people who are much younger who develop arthritic conditions. And so trying to get the word out, trying to highlight how really universal and crippling this condition can be and painful. And it just seems to me that it kind of gets overlooked. You know, take two Tylenol and go to bed. That won't do it. So trying to raise the visibility and the awareness and the coalition of support for investing in R&D and technology so that we can actually finally make some big breakthroughs in this area. And modern science is on the brink of doing that because of regenerative breakthroughs that we've had in both human tissue and bone regeneration that could really make a material difference when it comes to arthritis. So I want to make sure that we're making this a priority as we move forward. There are many conditions, many diseases that get a lot of attention. This one doesn't, and it affects so many people and will probably affect almost every lawmaker. So it puzzles me why it hasn't. And I was easily converted when you and I had our chat and uh, was kind of seized with that passion that we've got to get this back on the map politically uh, or legislatively so that it's on everybody's agenda. Thank you. No, thank you for your leadership. It does, it does take leaders to make a difference. I think you're right. I think that osteoarthritis is sort of the Rodney Dangerfield of diseases, right? It, it really doesn't get any respect. And it takes a village in order to change things. In fact, it takes a huge community to change things. And it takes leaders. And again, I thank you for that. So the week after... Can I just say to you, uh, you're right about that, the Rodney Dangerfield disease. So one of the reasons I've only spoken twice at your event and now about my gaudish arthritic condition is because people laugh at it. People think, uh, they dismiss it. Oh, isn't that the rich man's disease? Isn't that what King Louis of France got? And what they don't understand is it's actually a genetic condition. It's the failure of the body to properly excrete uric acid. That excess uric acid builds up in crystals on joints, which get inflamed when you have attacks. And it's among the most excruciating pain you can ever experience. But I just didn't want to be a source of ridicule. And I've pretty much hidden the fact that I have this condition most of my life. Same with other kinds of arthritis. I just don't think people take it all that seriously. We've got to change that narrative. We've got to change that perspective. No, I think you're right. Honestly, for me, it was a difficult decision to go public with the fact that I had this condition because I've always been very athletic and I there is a stigma associated with, yeah. with arthritis. So it's a matter of stepping across that threshold and coming out of the shadows. So uh, I couldn't agree more. So the, the week after you hosted the OA Shark Tank on Capitol Hill and we had those leaders from all over the world come and present their new science and their new treatments. ARPA-H, which is the new advanced research project agency for health, announced its OA Moonshot. That program is called Nitro. And in that announcement, they point out that America gets 2.5 million joint replacements a year. And that those joint replacements, well, they wear out. So they're not of course, for older folks, if you're not planning on being active, if you're not planning on running or jumping, they can work. But there's real problems with the failing status quo. It's really time for us to have better options for patients than this 
chop and change. What's your take, Congressman Connolly, on ARPA-H and this Nitro OA moonshot? I, I welcome it. And what strikes me is, even if you put aside for a minute human suffering, 2.5 million joint replacements a year is an enormous health cost. That represents billions of dollars of healthcare costs. Now, America already has, by any measurement, the highest healthcare cost in the world. We have the highest percentage of GDP. We have the highest per capita cost. And ironically, we don't get what we pay for because we're kind of in the middle level of industrialized countries in terms of outcomes and morbidity and mortality. So if regenerative and other kinds of research have the potential for real breakthrough such that we can do joint replacement substitute, we can save billions of dollars in healthcare right there. And isn't that in our interest? Isn't that something we certainly want to explore? Because that's an investment with a big return on it. And by the way, when we talk about joint replacement, we talk about it routinely. But you know, when somebody has a joint replacement, and the older they get, the harder it is, it's hospitalization, it's recovery, it's pain management, it's physical therapy. Sometimes the joint, the new joint doesn't work, or there's a problem with it. You know, I've, I've had friends with hip replacements. And they, as many as 20% of those joint replacements don't work well. Exactly, they fail. And that requires more surgery and start all over again. And often, you know, you'll have one hip done or one knee done, and, and then the other one goes, and you've got to schedule the second surgery. It can be really debilitating. It's expensive, it's time-consuming, it's painful. So it's not a routine matter. And the older you get, I think, the more difficult it becomes in trying to recover from hip and knee surgery. Now, for a lot of people, it's almost like a miracle because they now have their mobility back, the pain goes away, and they're a success story, and that's great. But if we could avoid that need for replacement surgery to begin with by using other techniques that can regenerate tissue and bone, that would be, to me, a great breakthrough. No, I think you're absolutely right. And as you state, the healthcare cost is also the productivity deficit because people aren't able to get at it. So there's a cost associated with the treatment, and there's also the drag on our productivity. Somebody said that the biggest problem with osteoarthritis is that it's not fatal, which of course sounds crazy. But the point is that if it were fatal, we would have probably addressed it more quickly. Yeah. And the other challenge is that in fact, it can be fatal because people are inactive, they gain weight, and that drives heart disease and diabetes and a whole series of other comorbidities. So I think that that you know, notion of benign neglect, which is the way the healthcare industry looks at osteoarthritis really has to change. Yeah. So thank you for supporting the Nitro program. We're obviously all watching that program very closely as it gets under steam and hoping for great things. And I think that you're actually working on a congressional letter of support for that program. We are. And we also want to uh, sort of tease out of NIH and what specifics are in that program, right? What are you targeting? What kinds of R&D are you going to fund? How do people apply? Are there only certain categories you're going to fund in terms of this subject matter, or are you going to let a thousand flowers bloom and see what happens? I applaud the fact of making such a major investment, but I think we also want to make sure that we get as much information that we can disseminate so 
people are aware and researchers especially are aware of the opportunity to apply. I think we really are looking for translation. So science is great. We all love science, but we need to make sure that this program translates to the bedside so that we get something that can actually change the lives of people. And, and you know, the program is talking about five years to solve this problem. It's very aggressive and we applaud that aggressive timeline. Yeah, I, I do too. I always worry a little bit about, you know, in my business, it's better to underpromise and overdeliver. I worry a little bit about expectations because if we fall short, there are going to be a lot of the people really disappointed and maybe even disillusioned in the promise that research has in this field. That's why you should never run for president. <laughs> <laughs> so as I've sort of been on this journey over the last two years, which hasn't been any fun, and we talked a little bit about that. I've spent a lot of time Googling, reading research papers, traveling all over the world, trying to understand what the state of the science is. And it is very siloed. It is very difficult for regular people to understand what's out there. And candidly and shockingly, I've introduced developers who are in the stages of clinical trials for osteoarthritis cures to one another. And so we're on the verge of launching the OA fixed trials in the mix graphic, which shows what treatments are out there, what's promising, where they are in terms of the phases of the clinical trial process, where do they work? So for example, if you've got a knee or you've got a hip or you've got a shoulder or a hand or what you will, what's out there? What kind of procedure is it? Is it a surgery? Is it an injection? Is it American or is it overseas? And so I'd love to get your reaction on the OA fix graphic and just generally our broader mission to try and provide greater transparency to regular people about what's going on and also to provide an industry resource that shows the various flowers that are blooming. I do think the network of doctors, both primary care physicians and specialists, is really going to be critical in disseminating information to patients. I really was struck by something you said about in your own examination of the field, you found it very siloed. And that is always a problem, it seems to me, in research, right? So there's not as much cross-disciplinary cooperation in science as there should be. And it impedes breakthroughs, it impedes the research, it impedes coming to the right conclusions. I'll give you a small example, not related to this, but for example, it took forever to get the scientific community to accept the theories of tectonic shift, plate shift. They had concluded as a matter of dogma, not really as a matter of science, but they were scientists, that uh, the earth was stationary, it was stable, and that things happened you know, in, in very slow evolutionary ways. And uh, that was not true. And then there was the asteroid theory about what killed off the dinosaurs. And that was a geologist who discovered that, not a paleontologist. And he was dismissed initially because he didn't really have standing in the right community. Turned out he proved his theory. And that is now the accepted dominant theory of what happened in the Triassic period that uh, ended the age of dinosaurs completely. So science can resist new ways of doing things as well as new thinking. 
And breaking down those silos to me is really critical if we're going to get different perspectives on a phenomenon like arthritis. I think you're absolutely correct. And one of the other elements that's really important as we look at trying to cure this is, without getting into too much detail, osteoarthritis is not one disease. So people have it different ways, men, women, old people, young people, different joints, et cetera, et cetera. And so in order to cure this, we're going to need combinant therapies. We're going to need some of this and some of that, something to bring down the inflammation, something to address the pain, something to reconstitute the joint or the cartilage. And so as a ignorant biologist, I, I finished biology at 15. I never thought I'd be back to this. <laughs> My mission is to bring that stupidity to the market, to speak for other patients who are not PhDs, and I'm certainly not that, and to provide advocacy and greater transparency so we can move the ball forward. Jerry Conley, I can't say thank you enough for your support for the program, for hosting us, and, uh, and for your friendship. Thank you for both your passion and your advocacy, Steve. It's going to make a difference. I'd like to say thank you for listening to us on another episode of Angry at Arthritis. We again look to provide that consumer direct to the leading science, and in this example, the direct to the leading legislative players in terms of moving the ball forward in a cure for osteoarthritis. Congressman Jerry Connolly, thank you for your leadership. As ever, I look forward to our next lunch. Thanks, Steve. I can't wait. If you'd like to make a contribution to support the emerging osteoarthritis cures, you can do that on our website, angryarthritis.org. Just click the donate button. Angry at Arthritis is your platform to take action to end this disease. You don't have to be a Rockefeller. A $5 contribution here or there certainly adds up. Let's not get angry at arthritis. Let's get even. <laughs>